Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice. Welcome to the Practice Manager webinar recorded on Wednesday the 28th of April. So um, welcome everybody, welcome to our Practice Manager webinar. As ever we are being recorded. Just a little bit about what we're planning to do with these going forward. We do intend to carry on with these sort of alternate Wednesday lunch times at one o'clock because they seem to be popular. A number of you dial in and we know a lot of you listen afterwards to the podcast. So we will carry on. But um, instead of just having a general um, chat, we're actually going to give each one a focus. Um, so today we're going to start with a focus on vaccines. And Michelle's going to do a short presentation um, at the end of our um, end of our session today. So we thought that would be useful for you. And titles going forward, we thought we might do one on complaints, have a focus on CQC, online access, clinical supervision, and insurance. What do you need? Which one? How and why? And um, what they're for? So do put any suggestions um, into the Q and A box. If you think of any focus you think would be particularly helpful for us and as you know we all want to do is to make these useful um so um yes yeah hope that that's going to go well and we'll look forward to um, michelle's presentation later but give us any ideas that you have going forward so very pleased that nigel's with us today so nigel i think you're going to give us a COVID update and we know you haven't got long today but um welcome and um yeah i'll leave it off to you um thank you louise uh, thank you for inviting me along to this um before I start giving you a COVID update, can I just, um, as I'm sure you all know, I'm uh, retiring from my LMC role in about three weeks' time, um, and um, I'm not retiring totally. I'm going to carry on doing one or two things, but probably um, not spend quite as much time working and a bit more time uh, doing one or two other things, but that remains to be seen. Um, so I'd just like to say um, almost thank you and goodbye. Um, the thank you is um, to all the practice managers, not only for all the sterling work you do now, but what you've done um, over the past years. As an LMC, we worked um, hard to uh, make sure that we support practice managers because we recognise that you're key to every single practice. And, you know, without um, high quality practice managers, practices would not develop in the way they have. It is um, no surprise to me that when you look at our reputation in Wessex nationally, it is high. The standard of general practice is high. Um, you know, I recognise the challenges currently in terms of workload, recruitment, etc. Um, and you know, that's true throughout the whole country. But without really great practice managers and the way not only do you work within your practice, but the way you've collaborated. Um, within your locality, within PCNs and practice manager groups. Um, you've shown uh, as GPs how we can work together more collaboratively. I would also say that um, although the team at the LMC has done a sterling job, um, particularly the directors of primary care and, and Louise and um, the lead team and Dawn in terms of supporting you, you have been a great support to the LMC and it's um, been a real honour and privilege to work in the LMC and see the um, support that you've given us over the years. So I'll, um, so just thank you very much. And I've really enjoyed my time at the LMC, uh, not least working with uh, many of you. Um, moving on to something more important and um, apologies for all that drivel, but I just thought I, I needed to say that. Um, just to give you some sort of COVID updates, sort of some headlines really. So as you know, um, the levels of COVID um, in the UK are um, relatively low. They are um, 10 to 20 per 100,000. 
Interestingly, in France, they were up at uh, last week at about 300 per 100,000. And in Sweden, they were about 400 per 100,000. And if you look at what's happening in India, COVID is not a virus which we can just take for granted. Um, the reason we've been very successful in this country, I would argue, is we've had the um, face, you know, washing your hands, the face, the space, so the control measures, but also the vaccination program, which I'll come on to in a minute. And you can just see the levels of hospitalization, the levels of um, people getting infected, and sadly, the people who have died as a result or died within 28 days of catching COVID. Um, tragic, every single one of those deaths are, but those numbers are falling significantly, which is in no small part due to the vaccination program, of which general practice is delivering 75 to 77%, depending on which area you're talking about. So we've been using two vaccines, Pfizer and AstraZeneca. Interesting how Pfizer was unpopular at the beginning and people wanted AstraZeneca. Then with the AstraZeneca story, it's now changed that patients want Pfizer, but actually managing Pfizer because of the short shelf life is quite a challenge. And actually in terms of the logistics of delivering a program, AstraZeneca would be easier to do. If you look across our three counties, um, the uptake is amazing. We've got over 90% of patients have had a first dose of Pfizer or AZ um, in cohorts one to nine. So that's everybody over the age of 50. And if you go over 80, it's nearly 95%, which is uh, that's far beyond anybody has ever achieved in vaccination programs before. If you look at the one cohort where we are slightly struggling is cohort six. So these are the people aged uh, 16 to 49 who've got a long-term condition and it rather surprises me that these are the people who are at greater risk of COVID, yet you might think they'd come forward in their droves to be vaccinated because they're at greater risk of um, getting admitted to hospital, of getting um, post-COVID syndrome or dying of COVID. But as with our flu vaccination programme, this cohort um, is less willing to come forward than the elderly patients are. As you know, we've now gone into cohort 10A and now 10B, so we're inviting everybody over 42. Uh, the current focus is on second doses because there's no, uh, there's very little vaccine coming in to deliver first doses. We do believe that actually from the 10th of May, there will be more vaccine coming in for first doses, which will largely be Pfizer in most areas, not AstraZeneca. And then obviously as we go through the cohorts and we get to the people under 30, then they should be offered an alternative to AZ, which for most areas of the country will be uh, Pfizer with a few offering Moderna. But as far as I'm aware, that's not happening in any of our areas, although it is happening in Berkshire and in Sussex. Um, if you look at um, going forward, I'm sure you're aware that we're, you know, the health inequalities agenda is quite, quite large on the um, push to get um, the people who, you know, even if you've got 90%, that still means 10% aren't being vaccinated. And if they're people who've made informed choices, then that's one thing. But there is um, trying to get that information out and trying to get the true facts um, out to people. And again, if you look at the AstraZeneca story, um, there's been more data published this week. There have been some more cases of um, vaccine-induced thrombotic thrombocytopenia, which is a bit of a mouthful. But essentially, it is still believed that this is an idiosyncratic autoimmune reaction um, that occurs with, um, it's happened with AstraZeneca, but it's also happened with the Jensen vaccine, 
which is also an adenovirus vector vaccine. So they're in the same group and completely different from Pfizer and Moderna, which are uh, messenger RNA vaccines. There has been one case of VIT in a second dose AstraZeneca. And also we started off saying this was an AstraZeneca headache. Um, it's more than that. It's a thrombosis caused by uh, the vaccine, um, which can occur in the cerebral uh, venous sinus. Um, so you get severe headaches and you can get some neurological symptoms, but can also occur as a clot in the um, portal vein, in the pulmonary artery or in other areas. So you can get pulmonary emboli or deep, deep vein thrombosis. It is still very rare, about one in 250,000, so about four per million. Um, it is more common to get clots if you take the oral contraceptive pill than from the AstraZeneca vaccine. Um, so we need to look at the risk versus the benefits. And again, you know, what they were saying early on was it's um, about the same risk as driving your car 250 miles. So, you know, when we're looking at the, um, the vaccine, it is still um, a safe and effective vaccine to use. Um, you know, all the medications in the BNF, which we prescribe, have side effects. Some of them, uh, not in significant number, have more serious side effects than this. The problem is if you're the one person that gets that thrombosis and, you know, a member of your family dies from that, then it's not something we can um, ignore or just say, oh, it doesn't matter because it, it really does matter. So, you know, we're looking at safety and this is being monitored uh, all the time. If you then look at um, the risks versus the benefits, what the vaccines have shown is even with one vaccine, the hospitalization rate goes down by between 50 and 60 percent. Once you've had two vaccines, there have been about 30 people admitted to hospital, but none have died and none have been seriously ill as a result. So as we've administered uh, nearly 40 million vaccines, 30, 30 odd million first vaccine and over 10 million second vaccine, there are huge numbers of, of vaccinations that we've given. And if you look at the number of people that were dying in the second peak per day, over a thousand a day, you know, we're now down into either single figures or low, um, you know, 10 to 20. And then you only need to look at what's happening in India and the tragedy over there. Um, the vaccination program still remains important. As we go forward, one of the challenges that we're going to have is the younger population who might decide, well, COVID doesn't really affect me, so I don't need to bother, or the levels are so low that, you know, it doesn't really matter, we don't need to bother. We absolutely need to keep encouraging people because we are, or the, the modelling is predicting a third wave. Now, whether that will happen after the um, lockdown ends um, on the 17th of May or in June, or it comes in the autumn, it is quite likely as things open up more, we will get an increase in numbers. And actually it's how we control that is gonna be the key factor. So, you know, as we go down the age groups, um, the, the problem with the reporting is we look at the number of deaths. What we don't look is the number of people with long COVID or COVID, post COVID syndrome, which may occur in anything up to one in 10 people. And they can be young people. There are a lot of young people who have been got prolonged uh, nasty effects from COVID. So uh, we need to encourage um, people to do that. It is likely that there's um, three vaccines going to come on the market in the not too distant future. The Jensen vaccine, which I talked about, which is a single dose vaccine. Um, it was uh, put on pause in the States 
where they had six cases of thrombosis out of 7 million doses. It's now starting to be used again, and it's likely to get licensed in this country at some stage. There's another one called Novavax and another one called Valneva, of which the government have bought um, significant numbers of these vaccines. And that comes into, you know, what, what happens when we've offered everybody in July a first dose, and then we do the second dose. It is highly likely that um, it's moved from possible to probable to almost certain that we will have an autumn booster. The autumn booster will definitely be for people over 70, I think. It might possibly be for people over 50, and it will also be those in the at-risk groups and health and social care workers. So we're still waiting for the Joint Committee of Vaccination and Immunisations to make their recommendations for government to take up. It is quite possible that will be one of the other vaccines. Um, so it, it, if you've had two AstraZeneca, it's, uh, I don't know this, but it's seems unlikely they'll give you a third one. It's much more likely they would use one of the other vaccines. In terms of that, um, there are studies um, ongoing in Wessex. The Southampton and Portsmouth vaccine centres are part of the Oxford vaccine trial, but they've also been trialling um, Valneva, the Jensen vaccine, and one or two others. And they are doing a crossover study. So there are studies underway where people are having AstraZeneca for a first dose and Pfizer for the second dose, or Pfizer for the first dose and AstraZeneca at the second dose. They're also doing studies with giving people flu jabs at the same time as giving them a COVID vaccination. So the COVID vaccines that may come as boosters in the autumn will not come in pre-filled syringes. So if you're going to give it at the same time, it will be a pre-filled flu, flu syringe and a draw-up um, COVID vaccine syringe. So again, we're still waiting and it will probably be another month or two before we get clarity on that. Um, in terms of um, the, the other information about the wider COVID, as you know, the COVID oximetry at home doing oxygen monitoring at home has become, um, there's less pressure on it because less people are presenting with COVID or getting infected with COVID. Um, but that's been quite a successful program in terms of remote monitoring. And uh, for my sins, I sit on a national committee looking at um, hypertension, but also blood pressure monitoring at home. And NHS England have just distributed 200,000 home blood pressure monitors. And again, the lessons we've learned through COVID and the reporting mechanisms and the ability to use platforms to report in are all building into that program. So there's quite a lot from um, COVID vaccination that will um, help support the future, you know, not least if you look at um, collaborative working within PCNs, um, I think that will be built on going forward. Um, I'll, I'll stop there, I think, Louise and Michelle, and hand back to you. Thank you, Nigel. There's just one um, question that's come, come in from Jenny Dock, and she just says, we're getting patients frustrated and angry because we're not able to offer the second vaccine by 12 weeks due to Pfizer delivery problems. Is there an official link I can direct patients to regarding the outcomes of a delayed second dose? They realise it's out of our hands, but want to understand what the effect of the delay is. Well, there isn't. But I mean, all you can say is that as soon as the Pfizer vaccine comes into this country, it's distributed. So um, I will go back and check, Jenny. But as far as I was aware, we have got Pfizer, all the second doses we are delivering in the local vaccination centres. The large vaccination centres do struggle because their appointments get opened up and then booked by other, you know, by people looking for first doses um, who are in those cohorts, whereas we would fill our second doses hopefully first and then 
go to the first doses. But um, there is more Pfizer coming, and if if you're um, if you're struggling in hedge end for that, then hopefully your lead has contacted the primary care lead, who will then come through to the operational cell where I where I do some of my work to um, make sure that you can get that. The other bit to say is um, when you're looking at it, the, some people are bringing vaccine doses forward um, and you can do that for operational reasons, but not before um, eight weeks unless there's special exceptional circumstances. And if people slip to 13 weeks, um, medically that doesn't cause a problem um, So if they get their second booster. But I absolutely recognise that if patients are told you'll get one in 12 weeks and 12 weeks doesn't happen, uh, they'll start getting nervous. But perhaps... If you contact us offline, Jenny, if that's a problem, uh, we'll have a look at that. Thank you, Nigel. There aren't any other questions, but just some very nice messages. Thanking you very much for your support, encouragement, um, a huge experience and wishing you well and that we will all miss you. So uh, thank you very much. Thank you to everybody. Um, Michelle, over to you. Thanks, Louise. So I've just got a few things to update you on before we go to the topic, which is vaccinims for, for this session. So the first thing I want to update on, and you may have received communication of this back end of last week from PCSE, is that the PCSE online, the GP payments and pensions service will go live on the 1st of June. I'm sure practices will be anxious about this, given this uh, affects all your payments. And I completely understand that. Um, a couple of our my colleagues, uh, Carol and Dawn, have actually um, attended a session on this. I think it was last year when we, they were talking about it. And actually, if it works, it looks like it will be a really useful tool and will improve how practices communicate with PCSE and receive information. They have undertaken um, three YouTube videos, which you can access, and also some how-to guides, which uh, will be worth having a look at. I think... What's also worth mentioning is that you should already have a PCSE online login or someone in the practice should, as this is the place where you have to go in and um, approve the performers list process. So it may not be you or it may be you or a colleague. Um, so it's worth just making sure your login is available. The other thing to mention also is that from the 1st of June, the open, clearly open extra will be stopping and that none of the statements will be accessible from that from there. However, we believe and we are told that all of the statements should be available in the new GP payment and pension service. So I would suggest having a, having a look at the um, tools that PCSE have developed, and we will pop that in um, the FAQ document that goes with this podcast or this webinar. That's the first one. The second one on is CQC. So CQC have had a bit of a, a, a mass, well, I say a bit, a massive update on their myth busters. Um, we had a query, I think, about 18 months ago asking how practices know when these are updated. Um, and we had an email this week with quite an extensive number of these being updated. So I would suggest going and have a look at the web page. Um, I believe that the most up-to-date ones are the ones that have been reviewed are at the top of the list uh, as opposed to at the bottom. They're not in any particular number order. Um, and just to highlight just a couple of the ones that I think you might just want to be aware of. So number 58 around practice induction packs, um, number 69, business continuity arrangements for emergencies and major incidents. So it's worth just going and have a look at these. So those are the two bits that I wanted to update on before I do the others. And I think I'm just going to hand over to Louise to talk about a podcast we've recorded. Yes, thanks, Michelle. So um, 
April um, is Stress Awareness Month. So I don't know how many of you are aware of that. Um, and it's just something we're trying to do is to look at what's going on um, nationally and see if we can tap in and offer anything. Um, so Michelle and I um, had a bit of a chat and we've recorded a podcast, which is free to anybody who wants to listen. And it just talks about a little bit about the resources that we've got at Wessex LMCs, how we can help, how we can signpost for you and your team. Um, and I just think it's really crucial. I've seen some really, really exhaustive expanders over the last couple of um, weeks. And we know it's been a relentless, relentless job for the last 12 months in the pandemic. And the crucial thing is, as we all know, but don't always do, that it's that thing on the airline, isn't it? That you just get your own oxygen mask on first to make sure you are okay before you then are in a fit state to help others. So just listen to that if you have a few minutes. And if there's anything we can do to help in any way, ask us, we can do some searching for you and we can help you and your team um, if that would be useful. Um, we do have the the, um, the lunch and learn on um, mental health and just encouraging some of the conversations because sometimes it's difficult to know how to help people. Um, but there's lots more information there if that would be of any use to you. Um, and now we're gonna go on to a slide presentation, Michelle, I think on um, vaccinins. Before I get onto that, there are a couple of vaccinims updates that I think we just want to share with people um, before I share my screen. Um, the first one on is that uh, the flu declaration. So we've had quite a few queries from practices on this. Uh, this relates to the, um, see the flu vaccines for, 20, for 2021 and the 50 to 64 cohort and that they came on mid-season last year and that there was central supply available to practice if they wanted to draw down on it. Part of the agreement was that if you drew down the central supply that you needed to fill in a declaration at the end of the uh, flu season or end of the financial year. So this declaration has been shared with practices. Um, unfortunately, what it looks like is that even if you didn't draw down central supplies, it's requiring you to provide information of the vaccines that you procured yourself. We are just checking with the BMA whether this is correct, because our understanding is that if you look at the information, the declaration is only required if you have uh, drawn down uh, from the central supply. So I'm very aware that the deadline for the, of this completion is the 30th of April, and it does say that it's a contractual requirement within the, the email. So we, are, we will urgently clarify uh, with the BMA and NHS England, and as soon as we've got any information, we will share this with practices. The second piece I just wanted to update on um, also relates to flu. We are aware that Sequaris uh, have extended the ordering deadline. So from it was the 16th of April, it's now been moved to the 7th of May. So if you wanted to put place any orders with Sequaris, you now have the ability to do so. This is one of the things that for this year that I think is quite a significant change for practices. Um, as we all know, when the GMS contract came in in 2004, practices, we went from the red book process to the process that we had up until March, which uh, included that if you hit, achieved 70 to 90% targets, you then received a payment for the routine scheduled vaccines. The problem with that was when, if you were a practice that achieved 69.9%, you never received a payment for all the work that you did around those, uh, around those patients. And uh, we're hoping that this year, with the changes that have been implemented, this will now, there will be some practice who may not receive, as you'll see when we go through the presentation, but most practices should now receive funding for giving uh, the national vaccination um, scheduled 
sorry, the national vaccination schedules. So just quickly going over the overview of change, the changes. So it's now an essential service, not an additional service. There, they've introduced five core contractual standards. There are two mechanisms where you can receive payment for vaccines. Now, one is an item of service fee and the other is through the new vaccinims domain through QOF. And there will be a requirement for you to sign up to CQRS. And we do believe that there has been some communication gone out to some of our practices that highlights that this needs to be done by a deadline. So I believe that that will go out to all practices shortly and just to watch out for that, because that's critical as that's where the information is going to be um, extracted from with, with regards to vaccinims. So taking some of these, uh, just taking these in turn. So I've mentioned about the five core contractual uh, standards. So in a letter dated the 10th of March that was released by P Public Health England, it talked about all the changes that were happening and it provides quite a bit of detail on each of these. Most of these practices will be doing anyway um, and shouldn't be too difficult to continue to do. What I thought might be useful is if I just took some of these in turn and give you some of the details around what that, what those may entail. So the named lead for vaccination services, clearly I think it's, uh, I don't need to go into too much of that, it's just having an identified person to lead your vaccination process. Provision of sufficient convenient appointments. So this one actually includes making sure that you do have um, staff that's sufficiently trained and, and competent to undertake. It looks at, it has suggested within this one, whether you would like to collaborate within your PCN to think about if you would want to improve your uptake. So there's the option there. It also talks about online access, um, which will be interesting to see how that would work because I'm aware that CHIS sends out the letters and the invite letters to, to patients or, and parents. And some of these may include appointment times. And uh, so it'll be interesting to see how online access is possible. Standards for call and recall programmes and opportunistic vaccination. Again, the letter goes into a huge amount of detail around this. Um, and there will be um, implications, as I've said, with CHIS to be aware of. What I would suggest is having a look at that letter to understand um, some of the changes. The one I think probably to highlight um, is they're saying that, that you could use text based reminders is an option. And also that we're all aware that usually three letters are sent and then um, no more. What they're saying is if, if there was no response after the first and second invite, that actually there needs to be contact by a healthcare professional, whether this be through a telephone call or a face to face appointment. So I think that one's uh, worth being aware of and how practices will look at that. Participation in nationally agreed catch up campaigns. Um, that's, I think it goes with, I don't think there's much more to say on that. They've given the MMR, the MMR campaign uh, as an example. And then finally, standard for record keeping and reporting. Again, this is something that you'll be doing automatically. So things like you need to record refusals. If you give a vaccine, the consent, the batch number, the date that it was given, any contraindications and adverse reactions. And also if there's one or more vaccines, if there's two or more vaccines given, then actually you need to identify the route it was given and the site that it was given. I think what's really key here, this has been introduced for practices who didn't achieve the targets or quite low achieving. I would really encourage practices to look at this and to ensure that you are working on this and actually can comply with these contractual standards going forward. Item of service payment. So um, practices will receive £10 and sixpence per vaccine given. 
There will be an aspiration payment throughout the year. Um, we're not clear yet how that's going to be calculated. It, it says in the guidance that it will be based on previous um, previous uh, achievement. However, we're not clear on how that's going to work. One thing that I think we need to be aware of, and we're just going to go into a bit more detail around this because I think this is really key, there will be a reconciliation at the year end and your percentage achievement will impact the amount that you receive. I'm going to go on to the next slide because it will become clearer. So we've worked practice index. I think it's just worth highlighting. Practice index have got two really useful pages that I would suggest going and having a look at. One is um, an immunisation and vac vaccination blog. And the other is a quaff changes. So we're going to come on to quaff in a second. We will have at the end of this um, slideshow a list of all the resources. So you can go in and find these links and also the letters and anything that we think that will be useful for you to be aware of. We'll also have the quaff guidance attached. So just to be really clear, I think for practices who achieve anything above 80%, you will receive £10.06 for the vaccines you've given. And we've this table here has been taken from practice index and we've worked with them to look at how, um, how, how this appears and we've added in some additional bits of information. So as I've said, 80% and above, you will receive the full £10.06 for all vaccines that are given. If practices achieve 50% or less, then unfortunately you will receive an aspiration payment throughout the year, but you need to be aware that that will be um, deducted um, or recovered at the end of the financial year if you hit 50% or less. I think that's really important that practices need to know that you're, get, you're going to be getting money, but if you don't hit a certain target, if you hit 50% or less, that will be re recovered. It becomes a bit more complicated when you look at the 51 to 79% achievement. So we've worked through the 60, it, we've worked through the example if you achieve 67%. So the first 50%, you will not receive payment for. You will receive payment for the 51 to 79, so the 17% 70, as you can see there. So it's really just to be mindful that it's critical that you're looking at your percentages and to be aware that the money that you're receiving may be recovered at the end of the year, depending on your percentage outcome. So Quaff, so I've mentioned that there is a new domain within Quaff, the vaccine immunisation. There are four indicators, as you can see here. My apologies, they're highlighted. That's how they've come through on the, that's what they're like in the national document. There are a total of 64 per points attached, significant number with really quite high th thresholds that you need to achieve. Um, again, I've mentioned the practice index page on this, but I would really strongly urge you to go and look at that page. It gives you some really clear guidance on the actions that you need to take now to try and ensure that you achieve the thresholds that you need to ensure you receive the high pay to re you receive the points attached to it. As you can see, the lower thresholds are you, they they do significantly drop. So three, seven, seven, and actually for the final one, there are no lower point thresholds. So please, I would suggest you go and look at the guidance because you need to look at the patients. So this is over a 12 month period. So you need to look now on the children that you may want to bring in and which you'll be doing anyway. But there might be some ones that you want to focus on. And we believe that the personalised care adjustments that you may want, that you may be able to use for other indicators will only be able to be used for contraindicated um, patients. So as I've mentioned, here's the list of um, the guides for 
which you would which I think are useful. There are links here. We're going to put this with the webinar on our um, on our website. And then finally, just to highlight something that I think is quite useful within the NHSE letter that I've mentioned on the 10th of March is a really there's a number of tables which articulate the program, the immunisation that's being given, the age eligibility and the type of offer, which I think is actually really useful. So it's really clear on what what requirements are around on this for practices and maybe worth sharing with your um, clinicians. So that's the end of my presentation. I'm just going to unstop sharing. And we might have there's a couple of questions. I don't know if they're to do with this. Thank you, Michelle. Um, that was really useful, really concise and really clear. Um, just something you mentioned as you went through for people that aren't aware. What is CHIS? You just mentioned that as you went through, just in so case anybody's the, not sure. Um, Child Health Information Service. So they're the service that it's interesting because di different areas have different systems. So in some areas, CHIS will send out the letter that has an appointment attached within it, depending on how it's set up and agreed with the practice and in some areas CHIS will send out to say that it's a reminder but they don't attach an appointment so I think there is a piece of work to be done looking at how parents can have online access to some of these appointments because if it's not being managed by the practice that could be a challenge. Thank you that's helpful and one that um, actually Dawn do you want to speak about that one because in case anybody else wasn't aware there was another term that was mentioned um, do you want to talk about that yeah Sorry, yes, somebody asked, I might have been a bit too quick at answering them. Sorry, it disappeared, didn't it? Um, somebody asked or said they weren't familiar with the term personalised care adjustments. Um, that was what we previously knew as um, exception reporting in COF. So um, similar rules, but, but you need to look obviously in the guidance to see um, what personal care adjustments you can make for each indicator now. Thank you, Dawn. That's really helpful. Um, one more, um, Michelle. So just to check understanding, we claim retrospectively, um, not, can't, can't quite remember the cutoff as it's not me who does it, but is there a lag? So we still need to use Open Exeter for the first quarter or similar? I think that's a good question, actually. We need to ask that of PCSE. I'm thinking that is, is Open, do we use Open Extra for also for um, cervical screening? I thought that might have stopped. I don't know. But, but you certainly did, but whether we do now, I'm not sure. I don't know. I think that's a good question, Jenny. Let's pick that up with PCSE. Okay. We'll, we'll share that in the Q&A Q&A document. Okay. Michelle, there are no more um, questions on that. But what we will do, we will share um, the presentation, obviously, that Michelle has, has written. It's been really useful. Um, and... Um, Probably if people get to grips with this, there'll be more questions coming in. And obviously we can we can pick it up as we do our um, next um, few practice manager webinars, I'm sure. So just to um, move on, the last thing we've got on our agenda is to let you know that bookings are now open for our practice manager conference, which is really good. So um, sadly, it's virtual again, um, 10th of June for the morning should be a really interesting morning we've had a bit of feedback from um, you that you don't want information overload so we're gonna it'll be thought-provoking it should be a bit of fun um we've got some various speakers that you might well know about so when um, we've got um, john perry and we've got lucy hadley talking about happiness success and choosing your attitude but somewhere else, something on primary care nursing associates which i think about the reality of what it looks like in practice which should be good looking at work-life balance from a sort of legal perspective and flexible working because that's probably something that a lot, of, a lot of you might want to know about, but also your staff. Um, is being a practice manager 
partner a good idea, some pros and cons from two of our practice managers who are partners. Mm-hmm. And we've got hopefully a great in, uh, motivational speaker. So John Volanthan was the record holding British cave diver who rescued the footballers in Thailand. So you might remember um, a little bit about that story a few years ago. So he's coming to talk to us. It should be a fascinating story. And goodness me, if anybody has been in a stressful situation and have had the world's eyes on them to have all that pressure, I think it's going to be fascinating. So hopefully you'll book up and you'll join us. It should be, as I say, interesting, um, informative, but also just hopefully a little bit of light, light relief and a chance to you to chat, even though it's virtually, with your colleagues um, as, um, as we do that. So that's 10th of June and just hopefully you will be able to book up for that soon. Um, so just going back to the questions, um, we've just had um, something rather lovely um, from Jenny Docks got in, gone in there that I expect you've all seen. So, um, Jenny, thank you. She's organising a, um, a collection for um, Carol Cusack's retirement. So sadly, we're going to be losing Carol. Um, and she's done a phenomenal amount um, for practice managers and practices over the last 10 years since she's been here. And previously, because she's worked for the for a long time. So there's a link there. Um, for by PayPal money pool, no fees, all transparent, Jenny assures us. Um, and the link is on there. Now, we don't want to put that on our website because I think that would be inappropriate. But you've all seen the link. Hopefully, you'll be, you can copy and paste it now onto some of that's helpful. And we will have that at the LMC. So if anybody else does need that, then just let us know and we can give that to you. And just thank you very much. That's a really, really lovely gesture. Is it worth um, just adding to that, Louise? Sorry. Yeah, do. As we, as you're going, no surprises. We've had huge amount of messages for Carol, which we're more than happy to pass on. We've also had some requests, interestingly, along the gift um, thought process, and that you'd like to buy something for her. And I, we, there's obviously, so obviously, Jenny's got the option around that. But I think she's also. I, I wonder if it's worth mentioning that if you wanted to get a gift that whether John Lewis vouchers might be something that she would be um, would welcome very much and that there is the ability to um, do an online process so that you can then send us um, an email with the confirmation and we can ensure that then that, that's then passed on to Carol. So we've had quite a lot of queries around messages and gifts and um, I think it's really, you know, lovely and um, thank you for that and we'll make sure those are passed on to Carol. Absolutely. And just some um, Debbie said you can't see the link. It's in the question above. You should be able to see in the Q&A's. Debbie, you should be able to see that question. Email me if you can't see it. And if anybody got any problems, just shout and then we'll sort that out. Um, so that's, I think, come to the end of our agenda and the end of the question. So just to remind you, we've done a focus on vaccinims today. Hopefully that's been really useful for you. Um, and we're going to do some more focused and webinars as we go forward. If you've got any topics you'd like us just to give you a sort of five, 10 minute presentation or update on, please particularly let us know and we'd be more than happy to do that. And I think um, from Dawn and Michelle and myself, just to say, and thank you very much for being with us and um, we'll see you again soon. Thank you. Wessex LMCs, supporting you and your practice.